touch of sweet spirit in there. saying that we're under a, a physical violent uh, violence, but there's a spiritual violence that's trying to take hold. And the Bible says, and I really didn't, I've really had a hard time understanding the scripture where Jesus said that the kingdom of heaven suffers violence, but the violent take it by force. And this is, this is what I was standing there thinking about is the kingdom of heaven suffers violence so our response is you know the best way that I can say our response is is that we get violent back we it's not a retaliation it is a violent uh, a violent protection over what God has given us the kingdom of heaven and and the enemy is against the kingdom of, the enemy is against you having access to the kingdom of heaven so it's going to try to stop everything. But you have a violence on the inside of you. Not an ungodly violence, but a godly violence. There is a godly violence where you can stop anything with the name of Jesus. You can stop anything with the name of Jesus. Any attack, anything that's coming at you, Jesus is the answer. That's why He came. That's why He died. That's why He shed His blood. Because, you know, in a courtroom situation... They're going to, they're going to try to, to, to convict you of wrong, even, even being a God follower. The enemy doesn't like that, and he's going to try to convict, try to, try to uh, accuse you of being wrong. But see, we don't have to say, well, we're innocent, because deep down we're really not without the blood of Jesus. But we've been given the blood. This is something my spiritual father and mother taught me about was that when you're in a situation, a violent situation, a situation where the enemy's trying to come against you, you don't have to plead your innocence. You don't have to plead guilt. All you have to plead is the blood. The blood of Jesus. The blood. The blood takes care of everything. That's how to retaliate in violence. Because Jesus' blood holds violence against those who are coming against his kingdom. Amen? So when you plead the blood, the blood takes care of it. Amen? So Father, in Jesus' name, we thank you today. We thank you, Jesus, for what you have given us. We thank you for you coming to this earth, teaching us how to walk in this earth when, when the violence comes. But when we respond, we respond with the blood. God, I thank you for the blood. I thank you, Jesus, you pour out your blood. You poured all your blood out, but it only would have took one drop to change everything. But you gave us more than enough, more than enough, because you see us as people of more than enough. 
I thank you, God. We plead the blood. We plead the blood. We plead the blood. Thank you, Lord. When the violence come into our life, we plead the blood. And it stops everything. We thank you for that, Jesus. Thank you. Holy Spirit, you're welcome here. Just like the song said, you are welcome here. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you, Lord. In Jesus' name. Believe that this morning? Well, when you turn around and tell somebody hello, tell them I believe it. I plead the blood. Amen. How y'all doing today? Man. That wasn't very convincing. Thank you, sir. Amen. Well, good deal. I'm, I'm glad to be here again today. Uh, I want to welcome you to Cowboy Church this morning. If you've never been here before or you've been here just a few times and I've never got a chance to meet you, I hope to do that. But thank you so much for coming um, there's so many people that I, I still hear today, even though we've been here for a, a while in this building, I still hear people say, well, I was just driving by, been driving by for years, thought I'd give it a, give it a shot. Thank you for giving it a shot. I hope that we can be, uh, uh, we can be a buffet of God's word, right? And feed you and fill you and, uh, man, have you be a part of this community that we're in. We appreciate it. I want to welcome our Kingdom Ranch family out in California. Thank you guys for joining us this morning. Yeah. And all of our online community, thank you for joining us this morning. Uh, if you're ever in our area, if you're way out of our area, but if you're in our area at some point, I invite you to stop in and, and introduce yourself to some of the finest people in all the, all the world here in Northern Colorado Cowboy Church. We appreciate you joining us this morning. So, how y'all doing? I've got some, uh, I've got some news for you. You ready for some news? It's good news. Man, I so appreciate all of you all. You know, last week we, uh, talked a, a little bit about what, uh, my friend in Israel is doing, uh, Richard Frieden. He is, uh, trying to get some, uh, ballistic, uh, clothing for his, uh, for his his guys and his uh, unit there in Israel, as they are being called up again, and they're trying to upgrade their their equipment, and so he reached out to us last week, and and I reached out to you all, and I'll just I'll, I just want to thank you for your generosity because we were able to send him this week fifteen thousand dollars to help with that, and. Uh, their goal was 20,000, so we dang near made it. But, uh, uh, that for sure is not done. Um, y'all could still give toward that. We don't have the boxes up on stage today, but if you would, if you want to give towards that, designate that on your check, designate that on the envelope or, or, uh, online. You can, there's a drop down box. If you give online, there's a drop down box that you can put Israel, uh, type, or Israel's in there. You just click on that. And we'll make sure they get it. You know, every year we send what we've collected over the year for Israel. And uh, we usually send a pretty good chunk of change at the end of, end of the year. 
but uh, that's still open. So um, I would love to just continue to make sure they have everything that they need. Because Genesis chapter 12 says that when they, when you bless them, it, God blesses you. Amen. Amen. So if you've given towards that, get ready. God's blessing you. Amen. Amen. We need it, don't we? All right. So with that, you know, uh, this week, um, I wasn't going to say anything, but I decided I would. But, uh, on social media, we had somebody else click in and, and tell us, or criticize us for not posting something that we stand with Israel. They say, you know, do you really stand for Israel because you haven't posted anything? Since when is posting qualify you for anything? Because what we did this week was we put our money where our mouth is. And if you've watched us online very long, if if that's the only place you've watched us, we have an Israeli flag on the stage. We stand with Israel. We talk about it quite often, and we support Israel. It's not about what we put on social media. And they, the 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 post was like, "Oh, Israel, I don't see anything you posted to Israel." Hmm. <laughs> Bless their heart. Yeah. Bless their heart. I, I could say something. I could say something. My wife's been on this kick about being haughty. Not she, being haughty. No, not trying to be haughty, but what a haughty being haughty is. <laughs> she, she's, she's going. But having a haughty spirit means you're kind of a prideful, above everything, judgmental. It's hard for me not to do that when somebody posts stupid stuff like that online. But I'm working on it. I live with the woman who, who keeps me in check, keeps me accountable. Amen. Amen, men. You got a woman that keeps you accountable? Yeah. Just pray that they don't have a haughty spirit to keeping you accountable. I'm sure she'll preach on that pretty soon. She says, yeah. All right. So with that, we, we got to put our money where our mouth is, you know, and, and, uh, man, I am so grateful that, uh, my friend Richard is, they're safe over there. Uh, Richard, as a matter of fact, I found out Richard is in the States right now. He's going to go back on the 8th. He was supposed to go back to Israel. And, of course, the war broke out on the 7th, so he didn't get to get out of here before they shut down the airspace over there. So with that, he's here in the in the States. He's going to be with us in November. Um, and so you don't, you don't want to miss that. But his son and daughter are safe. They're in good spots. They're in a good place and, and God's keeping them. So if you've been praying this week, Psalm 91 over them, thank you. Thank you. Thank you. If you haven't start, that'd be a good thing. All right. Well, <clears throat> I am, I am honored and grateful that I get to, the, the, I get to pastor you. You people are so fun. You people are so great. You're, 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 uh, very supportive of, of us and, and I hope that uh, you haven't posted anything online uh, that says different. But uh, the the last few weeks I've been speaking on uh, being a consumer or a contributor, right? So we've been talking about that, and and my hope is through this through this message. I, I you know some people call it a series. I, I think it's just been a continual message for me, and I hope it has been for you. But my hope is that you have been challenged. 
that you uh, have been put in a place where you examine yourself and see where you're at. Are you a consumer? Are you a contributor? Is there places in your life that you're being a consumer? Is there places in your life that you're being a contributor? And and to be able to to turn those things because I believe with all my heart that both a consumer and a contributor is not about our outward actions, even though it does produce outward actions. It's all in a mindset. It's all in the attitude. If you have an attitude of, of just showing up and getting what I can get and getting out of here, checking your list off the off off what you need to do, then you know change that mindset. Come not as a checklist, but come as a place to build your hope and build your worship. Amen. Build your prayer life. Build build your word life. And so that's what I've been uh, been hoping that it challenges to do. So today I'm going to wrap this up. And uh, I hope that uh, I really, through this, I want to see God move in your life. I want to see God um, bring about an unprecedented change in your life. Amen? Amen. And, and so I hope that that's, uh, that's what we do. So if you have your Bibles with you this morning, if you would go over to First uh, Samuel chapter 17. First Samuel chapter 17. You, you all good today? Yes. Good deal. Well, I'm going to wet my whistle a little bit and then get on with it. All right. So First Samuel chapter 17 is, is a familiar story, probably a story that we've all heard. It's about David and Goliath. And even if you, a lot of times when I tell my communicators that come up and, and minister, is don't assume that everybody knows what you're talking about. But I feel pretty safe with this David and Goliath thing because even if you've never been to church in your life, you kind of know that David and Goliath story, right? I mean, they talk about it on, you know, football, baseball, basketball, hockey. They, they talk about the, the little man. We've been watching the world, the postseason baseball. That's the only baseball I like is postseason. I, I love it. I love the competition. But, and honestly, I've been rooting for the Texas Rangers. But they're playing the Astros. And we love the Astros as well, but I kind of lean to the Rangers. But there's a little dude, little dude. He's five, six. He's a little dude on the Astros and he is a giant. Jose Altuve, man. He, He's fun to watch. Even even when they beat us, he's fun to watch. But that's a David and Goliath type of story, right? So David and Goliath, let me get back to my message. Um, so there's a story here in 1 Samuel chapter 17 about David and Goliath. And just to get you up to speed where we're going to start, we're not going to read this whole thing, but to get you up to speed where we're going to start is that David's brothers had gone off to war to fight with the Philistines. The Philistines are are that. Uh, what, what can I say about them? The Philistines are that that thorn in the flesh, so to speak. They are they continue year after year after year, decade after decade. They continue to come against Israel. It's Israel's arch enemy, and I think that the. The ancestors of the Philistines are what's causing what's going on over there today. I think that they're the ancestors of the of the uh, of the Philistines. And so, the, the David's older brothers had gone off to war, 
And David's dad, Jesse, was wanting to send David to check on his boys, to see how the war was going. Um, so he, he loaded David down with some granola and some loaves of Sara Lee bread and, and some, some cheese and stuff like to make cheese sandwiches for the kids, you know. Anyways, they, they load him down with all this stuff. He goes to where they're having the battle. And as David arrives into the, into the camp, he hears the battle cry going on. The battle cry of Israel. They would come out. The Bible says they would set the battle in array. That means they would line up and they would, do 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 charge. You know, they're, they're ready to fight. So David got excited. He's so excited he threw the pack of cheese off and, Threw his cheese in the dirt and all the bread and granola in the dirt and just took off. He was so excited to go and see this happen. And as he's running there, as he's running there, he hears Goliath, 13 feet tall Goliath, come out. Can you imagine 13 feet a man? I mean, this dude is, is bad, you know? And he steps out on the, Goliath steps out on the battlefield. Tens of thousands of Israelis up there ready to fight. And Goliath steps out by himself and and comes against the God of, of Israel. And he says, you know, send somebody, send your best warrior down to me and we'll fight a cage match to the death. One-on-one, send your best warrior and whoever wins will be, whoever wins will will be the superior to the other. As you read this story, it's, it's amazing because when Goliath says that, all thousands of Israeli armies turn and run away back to camp. And David is running into it. And he is shocked at what he sees. He looks around and he says, Why don't somebody kill this dude? He's by himself. Why don't somebody take him out? Kill the sucker. He is shocked that nobody, nobody runs out there and kills Goliath. And you know what his brother said? They told him to shut up. They said, who do you, one of his brothers says, who do you think you are? Who even called you out here? You're supposed to be taking care of sheep back at the ranch. Why don't you just go back to the ranch and take care of your few sheep? Talk about a haughty spirit. (laughs) Dude's haughty. But it didn't shut David up. He just kept saying, who's going to kill this sucker? I'll kill this. What does a man get who kills this man? One guy says, well, he, he'll be, he'll be tax free for the rest of his life. The IRS won't bother him. He'll be good. He'll, he'll be good with the king, King Saul, and the king will give him his daughter. Right there, a 17 year old boy right there is going, I've seen her. She's, hey man, it's worth it. It's worth it. So David just keeps on talking. He says, who's going to kill him? Do you, do you guys understand that he is, he is nothing. He is nothing. So somebody heard him saying that. And I don't know if they were saying that they were going to tell on David, you know, getting kicked out of the camp or if they were trying to help David. But one guy says, I'm going to take you. You say this to the king. 
So that's where we're going to pick up the story. Verse 31 is where we're going. Verse 31. Let me get a drink. Verse 31. It says this. I'm reading from the New King James. It says, Now when the words which David spoke were heard, they reported them to Saul, the king. And he sent for David. Then David said to Saul, Let no man's heart fall because of him, Goliath. Your servant, me, I will go and fight with the Philistine. And Saul said to David, You're not able to go against this Philistine to fight, to or to fight with him, for you are a youth, and he is a man of war from his youth. You know what Saul is saying to him? He's saying, You're not enough. He's 13 feet tall, he's 40 years old, and you're just a boy, and you've never been in war. He says, you're not enough. Go on, verse 34. But David said to Saul, your servant used to keep his father's sheep, and when a lion or a bear came and took a lamb out of the flock, I went after it and struck it and delivered the lamb from its mouth. And when it arose against me, I love this. When it arose against me, I caught it by the beard and struck it and killed it. David's pretty awesome, isn't he? I can only imagine. Verse 36. Your servant has killed both lion and bear, and this uncircumcised Philistine will be like one of them, seeing he has defied the armies of the living God. Let's stop right there for just a second. He says, your servant has killed both lion and bear. Notice he didn't say the lion and the bear. He's killed lion and bear. More than one. And he says to this, he says to the king, this uncircumcised Philistine will be as one of them. Do you understand what he's doing right there? He is qualifying Goliath as what Goliath is. He has no covenant with God because he's uncircumcised. See, the nation of Israel on the eighth day circumcised their boys because it represents covenant. And he qualified Goliath and said, he's uncircumcised. He has no covenant with God. We do. Let's kill him. He'll be like the lion and the bear. Amen? Because he has defied the armies of the living God. Let's go on. Verse 37. Moreover, David said, The Lord who delivered me from the paw of the lion and from the paw of the bear, he will deliver me from the hand of this Philistine. And Saul said to David, Go! And the Lord be with you. I mean, that's the power of testimony right there. Your testimony has power in it. And when David gave his testimony about the lion and the bear, when he get, Saul got so jacked up that he said, go get him. <laughs> go get that sucker. Says a lot for Saul's leadership right there. Says a lot. It's not very good. I'll just put it that way. All right. Where am I? Verse 38, so Saul clothed David with his armor. With whose armor? His armor. 
here's what, here's what I want you to understand about Saul's armor is King Saul was chosen to be king because in, in first Samuel chapter 10, where they chose Saul to be the king, he stood, the Bible says he stood head and shoulders above all the men of Israel. He was a big dude. Wasn't 13 feet tall, but he was pretty tall. Which if the average man in, in that time was six foot, or the tallest man was six foot, he was head and shoulders above him. So he had to been around seven foot tall. He was a big boy. And when Goliath was saying, send me out your best warrior, he was saying, send me out King Saul. Even though all the Israelites ran back to their Frady hole, when Goliath stepped out there, who didn't even go away from their, their Frady hole but King Saul? He wouldn't even go. But David, which is said to be about 5'10", he's a little dude. He said, go get him. And then he dressed him in his armor. So David, so Saul clothed David with his armor and he put a bronze helmet on his head. He also clothed him with the coat of mail. That's like chain mail, like a, a full suit of, of uh, iron or whatever metal. Verse 39, David fastened the sword to his armor and he tried to walk. He tried to walk for he had not tested them. And David said to Saul, I cannot walk with these, for I have not tested them. So David took them off. And when he took his staff, then he took his staff in his hand, and he chose for himself five smooth stones from the brook, and he put them into a shepherd's bag in a, in a pouch which he had, and his sling was in his hand, and he drew near the Philistine. So the Philistine came out and began drawing near to David, and the man who bore the shield went with him. I think I read past where I was supposed to. But anyways, the fact of the matter is, David put on the armor, and and it, it didn't fit him. He couldn't fight in that. So he took it off, and he said, he said this. He took his staff in his hand, and he took his sling in his hand. See, what David understood and what David knew was that his hands were blessed by God. Whatever he had in his hands was blessed by God. Because when he fought with the lion and he fought with bear, he used what? Armor? No. He used his hands. Because he knew that, I mean, listen, he said, I caught the lion and the bear by the beard. He grabbed a hold. I mean, that's how close it is. He's not slinging a slingshot at this sucker 10 feet away. He goes and grabs a hold of his beard and he bonk right on the head and killed it. Right? Because God's hands were up on his hands. <laughs> My son's laughing at me. <laughs> David said to, to Saul, he said, I can't use your armor because it's not been tested. I haven't tested your armor. I looked up the word tested, and the word test means to test or to prove. So we're going to use that word for the rest of the day, to prove or to try. He said, 
I haven't proved what, what you have given me, but I have proved these hands. I have proved these hands. When I had a, a sheep taken out of the flock of my dad's, the, I got the, I caught the lion and the bear. And what I had in my hands is what made the difference. David was not bragging to King Saul about what he had done with his hands, but what God had put on his hands and put in his hands is what David was bragging on God about. He knew that God's power had proved his hands. And that's what we need to understand. God puts things in our hands. God sees to it that we have things in our hands. As you, as you read through the Bible, as you go through the Bible, and I pulled out a couple of, or a few, uh, several verses here that where it, what talks about God's hand placed on his people. When God's hands are on his people's hands, then he, he proves what's in our hands. He gives us the opportunity to prove what's in our hands because our hands are not ours. Our hands are his. Amen. And, and we, that, I mean, that's why during worship, it's good to stand with an open hand because God is, is placing in your hands the power of worship, the power to change the air, the power to bring the kingdom of heaven to this earth because he has put his hands on our hands. Man, who wants to hold hands with God? Amen. That's a good place to be. Amen. So here's a, here's a few verses about God's hands on our hands. Second Chronicles chapter 30 verse 12 says this. Also the hand of God was on Judah to give him singleness of heart to obey the command of the king and the leaders at the word of the Lord. God put his presence in Judah's hands when they obeyed. It gave them the power to obey the word of the Lord. God has given us the power in our hands to obey the word of the Lord. Amen. Isaiah 64 verse 8 says, But now, O Lord, you are our father. We are the clay and you are potter. And all, and all we are the work of your hand. We are the work of his hand. Amen. Psalm 98 verse 1, New Living Translation says this, Sing a new song to the Lord, for he has done wonderful deeds. His right hand has won a mighty victory. His holy arm has shown us his saving power. Good stuff. In Luke chapter 1 verse 66, did I say that right? Luke chapter 1 verse 66, Everyone who heard about, who heard about it reflected on these events and asked, what will this child turn out to be? For the hand of the Lord was surely upon him in a special way. He's, they're talking about John the Baptist there. John the Baptist, when he was born, this is what the people said. What will this, this, what will this child turn out to be? But they saw that the hand of the Lord was upon him. Even as an infant, they could see that the hand of the Lord was on his hands. The hand of the Lord was upon his life to become great. And how many of you know that he, he carried the spirit of Elijah to bring about making people ready 
for the coming of the Lord Jesus. Six months apart, John the Baptist was with Jesus being born. Six months, six months apart. And he said, they said, this child will turn out to be the Elijah that prepares for the Messiah to come. They could see it. Because why? The hand of the Lord was upon him. And finally, First Peter uh, chapter 5, verse 6, the New King James Version says this, Therefore, humble yourselves under the mighty hand of God, that he may exalt you in due time. I want to be, <clears throat> I want to be exalted by the Lord. But humility, the, the humbleness, the humility is what, is what opens the door for his hands to be on our hands. Amen? Amen. So many times in our lives, God puts his hands on our hands and we need it. We need his hands upon our hands in order to operate in things that he has called us to do. Because when he puts his hands on our hands, it proves him and it proves us. It proves him and it proves us. We need that proving and we need that test because he's asking us to be faithful, asking us to be faithful to his word. He's asking us to be faithful to other people. He's asking us to be faithful to him. And the only, and he knows, he knows our weaknesses. He knows how bad we can mess up. He knows we can make stupid decisions. But in that, he empowers us with his hands on our hands. I have read stories about, <clears throat> about the generals of God in our time. Men like A.A. A. Allen and men like Oral Roberts and men like uh, Kenneth Hagin who have all passed on. But the power that, that was in them, the power that God had put on them, even when they were human, even when they were, did humanly things that didn't go, didn't go, uh, didn't show an example of God on their life, God still put His presence on their hands. I mean, I hear stories about A.A. A. Allen getting up in the pulpit drunk. He had an alcohol, uh, had, had an alcohol problem. But when he would step into the pulpit, and he knew the guilt and shame was there. But he, he knew that. But when he would step into the pulpit, God would put his hands on that man's hands. Why? I don't know. It's the goodness and the grace and the mercy of God and the calling. See, Romans says that the gifts and callings of God are irrevocable. You can't do anything bad enough. And listen, I'm not giving you, <clears throat> I'm not giving you a license to go out and live however you want to live and God will still be on your hands. I'm not saying that. I'm saying if our heart is right before Him, God will put His hands on your hands and the power of God will work through your hands. <clears throat> because when Satan took over this world in the Garden of Eden, when Adam and Eve handed it over to him, God cannot freely do anything in this earth without having people that trust him. Having people that have received Jesus. That's why he sent his son to this earth to die, to get a hold of people so he can, he can put his power upon our hands so his kingdom can be brought into this earth. Amen. Yes. Am I making sense? Yes. 
And so I hear, I hear about those stories like A.A. A. Allen that <clears throat> even though he is not walking with God the way he should outside of the pulpit, but when he stepped into the pulpit and put his hands on people, miraculous healings would take place. It's phenomenal. It's weird to think about that. But me being a human and a preacher, I am thankful that God, God's grace and mercy is upon me because I can be dumb. I can be stupid. I can do stupid with a can of honey. <laughs> She's always in my corner. No, you're perfect. Oh, I don't even know where I'm at, man. <laughs> but see, that's the way God proves us. He, he, he loves to prove us. He loves to test us. He loves to try us. Because when he does that, we, he can then put his power, his hands on our hands. Amen? But can we prove him? Can we test him? And the answer from the Bible is no. No. We, we're, we're not. In Deuteronomy chapter 6, verse 16, it says, You must not test the Lord your God as, as you did when you complained at Massah. That was the children of Israel out in the desert, and they began to complain. And they said, Moses said, Do not test God. When in, in Matthew chapter 4, when the devil tempted Jesus, took him out into the wilderness, and uh, or he went to the wilderness to be tested by the devil, the devil took Jesus at one point, took him upon the pinnacle of the temple, the, the word says, the highest point of the temple, and he says, all right, why don't you jump off? Why don't you jump? And as you're falling, the word of God, see, even the devil knows the word of God. The devil, the, the, the devil said, Go ahead and jump because the word, the Bible says that he'll send his angels to catch you before you hit the ground. Why don't you go ahead and do that? If you're the son of God, jump. And what did Jesus say? He says, he says, uh, he said, I, you cannot tempt the Lord your God. You cannot test him. I am not going to test him. I'm not that dumb is what Jesus said. He said, I'm not dumb. I'm not going to, I'm not going to jump because it's written, it is written that you shall not test the Lord your God. That word test is the same word test back in David's time. It's to, to try or to prove. There's only one place. There's only one place that God says in his word to prove, to test, or to try me. There's only one place. And that's in Malachi chapter 3. So if you want to go over there, you can. It, see, this is, it's not about the armor that we put on to test God. It has nothing to do with where you serve in the church. You cannot serve God and in, in, in a church. You cannot you know, serve that church or whatever. You cannot do that and test God. That, don't test God. There's only one place that we did it test God. I got to get over there. Sorry. Here in Malachi chapter three, 
Malachi chapter 3, verse 10 says this. Bring all the tithes into the storehouse that there may be food in my house and try me now in this, says the Lord of hosts. If I will not open for you the windows of heaven and pour out, pour out for you such blessing that there will not be room enough to, to receive it. And I will rebuke the devourer for your sakes so that he will not destroy the fruit of your ground, nor shall the vine fail to bear fruit for you in the fields, says the Lord of hosts. Did you see what it said there in verse 10? In verse 10, it said, bring all the tithes in the storehouse. There may be food in my house and try me now in this. The word try in the, in the new King James is the word prove in the original King James. He says, prove me now. It is the only place in the Bible where God says, prove me. This is where you can prove me. You can't prove me by serving in the church. You can't prove me by being how good you are. You cannot prove me by any other means that you think you can, you can move God. He said, prove me in this, in the tithe. Prove me in the tithe. You know, sometimes when you say things in a difficult way, that you got to say it with a big smile, hoping that people will not be offended. God is talking to us about our money. He's talking to us about what He has put in our hands. Because He said, He's saying here, you can prove me in this because I've put this power, I've put this, this thing in your hands. I've put money into your hands and I need you to be faithful and obey the word. Like Second Chronicles said a while ago, obey my word, obey my word and my hands will be upon your hands. The world says that if we'll just invest, if we'll work the stock market, if we'll play the lottery that you can make a difference in this life. If you'll do that, it'll get money into your hands so that you can make a difference in this life. I cannot tell you how many people that I have over the years come across that said, boy, I sure hope I win the lottery. Because if I win the lottery, y'all don't have anything to worry about at church. I'll give whatever to the church. That's when I'll start tithing is when I win the lottery. Well, let me just say this. You're probably not going to win the lottery. <laughs> because God's power is not upon that. It's upon what you got now. Will you be faithful now? Jesus said, if you'll be faithful over what is little of another man's, God will give you much in your hands. There's nothing like waddling, waddling around in a suit of armor that don't fit you. Because it hasn't been proven. The lottery, the stock market, the investing, that hasn't been proven. Some people have made it big in that. But let me tell you what, some people have made it not so big in that. Well, you know, what's the common trend for people who win the lottery? They're usually broke and bankrupt in the first two or three years. 
How can you go bankrupt with a billion dollars? I don't know, but they do it. They're pretty successful at it. But what is God saying? God is saying, I need, I need access to your hands in order to prove your hands. I need that. I need it to prove, to test, to try your hands. Because if you'll prove, test, and try me in this, then I'll bless you. I will open up the windows of heaven and pour you out such blessing that you won't have room to contain it. I have not met very many people that have said, Stop, God. You're blessing me too much. Close the window. I've not met very many people that way. But when we obey his now, did you see what he said? He says, test me now. He says, test me now. Try me now. Prove me now. It's got to be a now thing. When is now? Now. Because the first time I said now was a while ago. Now is always present. Now is always now. Amen? That, that took a big, big knowledge, didn't it? Sometimes I got that about me. When we obey His now, we are committing to the process. And let me tell you something. Tithing is a process. It's a process. He says, prove me now and watch what begins to happen in your life. Watch what begins to roll in your life. Watch the blessing begin to roll in your life. Watch the provision begin to roll in your life. Watch what God does for you personally, but also watch what God does for your community. Because you're tithing, because you're, you're giving him that. When you look up this word, uh, prove, I looked at the etymology of the word. That's the beginnings of the word. Where did the word come from? And one of the the, 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 the core common uh, base thing that this word prove comes from is that we're basically putting God's character on trial, putting him on trial. That's proving him. Proving him is putting him on trial, putting his word on trial. Amen? And and I've been in a few trial situations. Um I had to serve on a jury and stuff like that, you know. Um, my dad it seemed like once every two or three years he'd get in trouble and and uh, have to go to trial for some stupid reason. And uh, anyways, I'm not gonna get into all that. It's not my dad's fault. It's just sometimes people didn't like him too well. When you're in business, that's what some things. Sometimes some things happen, right? Okay, I'm gonna move on. But we're putting God on trial. I don't know a lot about trials and things like that, not a whole lot. But being on trial for something, whether you're innocent or guilty, when you get put on trial, it's a fearful thing. It is a, it is a fearful thing. And that's what God is telling us to do though. Put Him on trial. Put His Word on trial. He says, test me now. Try me now. Uh, the etymology says true, uh, being judged by trial. So in a trial, you have a prosecutor, right? You have a, you have a judge, but you have a prosecutor and you have an advocate, right? Yeah. I mean, that's what law and order has taught me. <laughs> dun, dun. You, you have, you have a prosecutor and advocate. And then the most important thing is you have witnesses. 
right? So when we put God's word on trial, the tithe on this word tithe on trial, you have a very short line of people, of witnesses that tithe. So you got your tithers over here that, that have put God to the test. And then you have to over here, you've got the non-tithers. That's a long line right there. But their witnesses are coming up. Tithers are die-hard, unchangeable, died-in-the-wool, proven contributors to God's kingdom. But those that are not tithers are doubters, can't wrap your mind around it, skeptical consumers. Because they're not doing anything to advance the kingdom. They're not doing anything to advance God's kingdom at all by tithing. So they're, they're consumers. They're skeptical. They're, they're those people that say, should we really be talking about this in church? Should, should, should the preacher, is the preacher only after my money? So they're skeptical. Cause when I talk about these things in church, I used to get really nervous about it. And still, there's a little bit of that there. But you know what? I've put God's word on trial. I've watched God, I've watched God change people's lives just because they decided to, to put God to the test. But see, when the devourer shows up in our life, when the devourer shows up, did you, did you see that in chapter, in, uh, in, in Malachi in verse 11, it says, I will rebuke the devourer for your sakes. If you, if you put my word to the test, if you become a tither, if you tithe, I'm going to rebuke the devourer. So when the devourer shows up, those, those lions and bears of the devourer, those Goliaths, a tither proves God's promise is true. The judgment falls toward God's word is always true. The power of God's hands on our hands gives us the ability to grab a hold of the devourer and bonk it on the head. Because what God has done is put the power, His power, His hands in our hands and given us the authority to take out the devourer. Not only that, God rebukes it through our hands. See, I, I have moments of time after time being a tither. I, I, my mama taught me how to tithe when I was a little. And I can't say that I've always done it. And I can't say that, that still yet things slip at times. But what I can say is that when I am actively tithing, when, when we do actively tithe, there are things, situations that come up in our lives and we'll go, how did that happen? I mean, I should be broke. I should be bankrupt. I should be, this cannot, I cannot even put, I cannot even write down on paper and figure out anything of how this worked. It's happened so many times between Lynette and I in our, in our lives, raising our kids. We should have been broke, but because we, we were faithful to tithe, because we decided to prove God in that proving, Things just worked out. I don't know. I don't know how that happened. 
We can't explain it, but somehow, somehow it worked. All because God's hands were on our hands. And when God's hands are on your hands, he will never go against his word. Whether you, whether you're tithing or whether you're not tithing, God will never go against his word. His word is his word. And he said, try me now in this. See that I won't, see that I won't do something in your life. See that I won't prosper you. See that I won't provide for you. See that I won't rebuke the devourer. See the power of God that works in your life because I put that power in your hands. In Luke chapter 16, Jesus is telling the parable of the unjust steward. And when he tells the parable of the unjust steward, it's just moments, just moments. When he gets done with that story, it's moments before the rich young ruler that we talked about over the last couple of weeks, the rich young ruler comes to him. And, but, but when he's teaching this here, this, uh, this parable of the unjust steward, this is, this is what he says at the end of that parable. Jesus says in verse 13, he says, no servant can serve two masters for either, for either he will hate one and love the other or else he will be loyal to one uh, and despise the other. You cannot serve God and mammon. You cannot serve God and mammon. He's talking about riches here. As he talks about these riches, the rich young ruler shows up and proves Jesus saying, you cannot serve God and mammon. This word mammon here, a lot of people will say money. You cannot serve God and money. It really wasn't about money. The word mammon is an Aramaic term, which means the God of riches. It's not about money. It's about an idea uh, that personifies money. Mammon was a mammon was an idol that that people would use during that time to. Uh, it's kind of a good luck charm of finances. So Jesus said, look, you can't serve both God and mammon. That does not separate our money from God. But it was an idol that, that people used. It was, it was the God of riches is what mammon was. And in reality, in reality, what mammon does is it, it personifies or makes the reality of money real, like living with a heartbeat. And how many of you know money don't have a heartbeat? Money doesn't show favoritism. But what happens is people would personify that money. How does that happen? Well, what happens is that we let money talk to us. We let money talk to us. We let money have a voice into our lives. And that's hard not to do. It's hard not to do that. It's hard to to look at your bank account and say, well, you know, it's it's only money. Because money talks to us. And, And it's not the money that's talking to us. It's the idea of mammon being alive. And, and having a voice into our life. See, God, uh, Goliath came out on the battlefield two times a day. What you got to understand about the story with David and Goliath is that Goliath had already come out 
two times a day for 40 days. Nearly six weeks he came out two times a day. The Israelis would come out and get all jacked up and ready to go fight. And Goliath would step out there and start what? Defying the armies of the living God. He started talking. And Israel didn't say anything. How many times have we done that with our money? We let our money talk to us. But let us talk, talk a slap out of giving, being generous. Tithing. It'll say, you can't afford to tithe. Oh man, how many times have I heard that? Pastor, I can't afford to tithe. I need 100% of my paycheck. You may now, but if you'll put God to the test, see what he'll do. All of a sudden, promotions open up. All of a sudden, money comes out of nowhere, it seems like. I remember one time Lynette and I were living in the stinky house down in Texas. Some of y'all have heard about our stinky house down in Texas. It's a place down there where the humidity is so is so tangible that things that aren't supposed to grow, grow. When we moved into the stinky house, there, the people that had that lived there before we did had Rottweilers. And I don't know if you know the, the stuff that comes out of a, a Rottweiler is big. But left in the Texas humidity in a house grows. Our first time going in and cleaning that place up was with a shovel. Seriously, it is nasty. But we're down there. We're down there in Texas. We're in this stinky house. We, I have a 91 Dodge pickup, single cab pickup, and I've got a, I've got a loan against it. I had to get a loan to, to buy the truck. And I think I'm paying 182 bucks a month or something like that. That was good days back then. 182 bucks for, for a pickup. And we were behind. Some of our finances were not in good shape and we were behind. I got a certified letter. So I knew they knew where I was at because I got a certified letter in the mail. Uh, I couldn't run from them. But they told me they was going to come and get my pickup if I didn't pay this bill, pay, pay and catch up my note. So we're, we're walking around. We're, we're worried. And I said, come on, let's go take a walk to the mailbox. So we went out the driveway, went down to where the mailbox was and opened the mailbox and there was a letter. And in that letter, there was a check. And that person said in their, in their letter, we were just sitting here, me and my husband was just sitting here and we, you came to our hearts and we wanted to give you some money. Do you know what that check did? It paid my tithe on the check that I received, but it also caught me up on the payments to about our truck. They didn't know that we were hurting, but we were. And so when Goliath begins to talk as a tither, it, it's, it's like mammon talking to us and telling us we aren't going to make it. We can't afford to tithe. We can't afford to be in this situation. We, you can't afford to be generous. God's people ran back to their freighty hole when they heard Goliath. Are we going to retreat? Are we going to return? My deal is let's prove God in that situation. Prove, put God to the test and see what he'll do. See that he won't open the windows of heaven and pour you out such blessing that you can't contain it. Allowing the voice of mammon to control our response 
causes us, it will allow fear of the future. And we shouldn't fear the future. That's when we think that we, uh, what, that's when the thing that we think we control, controls us. How Satan, through the spirit of mammon, controls us in our direction. That's how he does it. As he says, you can't afford it. He makes money talk to you. And if you listen to that money, you're listening to mammon. And you can't serve both God and mammon. They go cross-grain to one another. Maybe today when I started talking about tithing and started talking about this thing called tithing, there was something on the inside of you that says, you're not supposed to talk about that in church. That's mammon talking. All that preacher wants is your money. That's mammon talking. That ain't, that ain't the spirit of the Lord. Because the spirit of the Lord is saying, I will back my word on the tithe if you'll just prove me now in this. I taught this, I taught on tithing one time when we first opened, first got into the church. I mean, we wouldn't, I think we were living, I think we were having church in the hotel. And I was living out on a, a horse farm. Lynette and I were living on a horse farm. Our son had just been born in 2001. And, and I taught on tithing at church. And there was a gentleman sitting in that service. That was when we had, we had church on Tuesday nights back then. Wednesday morning at 8 o'clock, I hear a on my door. And it was a man that had attended that night. And he proceeded to tell me, he proceeded to tell me that tithing was not for today. He said tithing is Old Testament. And Old Testament's already been proven. It's already been, it's already been, it's over with. And we're living in the New Testament. You have no right to tell me to tithe. There he stands. There's Goliath. Yak, 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 yak. I divide the armies of the living God. That's mammon talking. That's Goliath talking. I said, buddy, you cannot talk me out of this. I've already proved God on this. And all I'm asking you to do is prove God for yourself. It's not my word. It's his word. And I'm going to be faithful to his word. That guy proceeded to argue with me. He says, go get your Bible. I said, no, you go get out of here. You can't talk me out of this. You can't change my mind because I've seen God work in it. I've seen God work. Goliath intimidating us on the battlefield. Here's what I want you to know. In Revelation chapter 13, you don't have to go over there. But you can go over there later because it talks about the Antichrist coming. We've heard a lot of that lately with the war breaking out and stuff like that, that the Antichrist is going to come and all that kind of stuff. And what he's going to do, what the Antichrist is going to do, you can read about this, he is basically leveraging the spirit of mammon against the people, against people to worship him, the Antichrist. Not He's not coming by military force. He's not coming by intimidation. He's not even coming by political power. What he's coming for is financial deception. He's coming, when, when we talk about the mark of the beast, what is the mark of the beast? The mark of the beast is you cannot buy or sell if we don't take the mark. To take the mark. We cannot buy or sell. He is coming after our money. And he's saying the only way that you can, the only way that you can operate in this world and provide for your family, 
the only way that you meet your needs, the necessity of life, the only way that you're going to eat is this idea that the spirit of mammon will control the end times. It's exactly what he uses. It's the spirit of mammon. I've met very few people that have been possessed by demons. But I have met many people that are possessed by their possessions. They're possessed by hoarding it up for themselves. Generosity with what God puts in our hands is the antidote to the spirit of man. Because see, he says it here in Malachi. I'm putting my hands upon your hands. I'm putting into your hands a way to be faithful and to prove me. You can't prove me any other way except through what I've put, I've, what I put in your hands. Open your hands and do what I've asked you to do. God is not asking for all of our money. He's asking for the tithe. And the tithe is 10%. That's all it is. 10% of our increase. That's all the tithe is. That's what tithe means. You cannot tithe 12%. You cannot tithe 50%. Because the tithe means 10%. You can't tithe 5%. Tithe is 10%. But it's it's the tithe that silences the spirit of mammon. It's the tithe that silences Goliath in your life. God's hands upon our hands. God is saying here, prove, test, try me now in this. And see. Prove me and see. It's going to come into your vision when you prove him. Amen? See, when we contribute to help sustain, uh, when we tithe, we are contributing to help sustain the ongoing work of ministry. That's what makes this church run, is your your tithe, is, is that 10%. It's what makes all ministry run. Whether you tithe here or tithe somewhere else, the fact of the matter is, that goes to help generate what needs to be done so that ministry can begin to happen. So that I can train, Lynette and I can train more people to go and do the work of the ministry. I have so much confidence in this word, in, in God's word, that I believe that we can't outgive God. If you're a tither, here's what I want you to do. If you're a tither, add an extra little bit to that. 10% plus whatever. Just, just, just like, you can't outgive him, so just give him a little more. Give him a little more. Here's what, here's what I'm going to say. Don't tithe to me. It's not my tithe. It's his tithe. But if you're a tither, try him. Put a little more in there. If you tithe and that's your current maximum in giving, then add more to it. See, Malachi chapter 3 verse 10 says, Bring all the tithes into the storehouse that there may be food in my house. Yes, I know that this place is not the house of God. We're the house of God, personally. But this is a community. And the tithe helps things run. Amen? So here's the big challenge that I want to give you today. A big challenge. And this is why I did this whole three weeks. This, this all boils down to right now. 
And I know I'm over time just a little bit, but stay with me just a second. I want a big challenge to give to you. If you're not currently a tither, one who gives 10% of their increase, you are a consumer. I'm sorry to have to spend, to, to tell you that, but the fact of the matter is, if you're not a tither, you're a consumer. But if you want to become a contributor, change your mindset about God's word, what it says, and become a tither. Because when you become a tither, you become a contributor. That is, that is across the board, period. So what I want to do today and what I want to, what I want to set in, in motion is I want to, I'm, what we're calling it is a give challenge. What I'm calling it is a give challenge. I want, I want to challenge you to give. God says to prove me, test me, try me now in this. Your life and family and your household. I am so confident that you're going to see God move in your finances that over the next six months, I want, I want you to commit to tithe over the next six months. If you're not a tither, give me that. Give me six months. Give God six months to prove your, His hand is upon your hand. Over the next six months, if you'll commit to tithe here, and, and I am not a, I am not a uh, proponent of this, you have to tithe here, but I do, I am a proponent of tithe or, or tithe where you are fed. If you get fed here, tithe here. If you get fed somewhere else, tithe somewhere else. But for us to do this give challenge, I need you to tithe here just so that we can keep record of your tithing. Not for us, but for you. Because in six months, by April 21st, 2024, if you're not satisfied with what God is doing in, in your committed tither, if you're not satisfied by April, the, what I say, the 21st, 2024, I'm going to give you a money back guarantee of this. In six months, if God has not proved himself in your finances by you becoming a tither, I will give it all back to you. No questions asked. I will give it back to you. I didn't say that. They said it. Put your money where your mouth is. But in six months, if you're not completely satisfied with God, not with me, with God, I'll give it all back to you. But I say give here because I can, we can track when you put into your, on your check, on your envelope that you give by cash or on, if you give online, we can track the, the tithe that you give from now until then. But what I want you to do, here's what I want you to do. We can only keep track of your tithe if you designate give challenge in your, in your tithe and giving. Amen? Amen. So if you're giving by chat, by, by cash, uh, put in an envelope and mark on there give challenge. You, you gotta put that on there or we can't track it. And if we can't track it, I can't give it back to you. So I need, I need a way to track that. And it's not for my information, it's for, it's for uh, us to be able to track that. If you're giving by check, put it on the note in the corner or put it in an envelope and put Give Challenge on there. If you give online, there's a box, a drop-down box now that says Give Challenge. You can go in there and give your tithe, offering, whatever, 
and hit give challenge. And that way it is being tracked. And when you show up on my doorstep at the church, not on my house, I'll call the cops on you show up at my house. No, I'm but if you show up here on April 21st and say, I'm not satisfied, we have a way to give that back to you. No questions asked. We'll give it back to you. Because I believe that when you prove God, he will prove himself. The power of God that's in his hands will be put into your hands. And when he puts it into your hands, now you put it into the give challenge. Amen? Amen. I believe God will do big things in this next time, next uh, six months. Amen? Amen. Is that, is that all right? Y'all okay? This is, this is what I, I want. My deal is to see you blessed. I want to see you blessed the way that God has blessed me. Amen? Amen. Let's, uh, absolutely, absolutely. Let's pray real quick. Heavenly Father, thank you so much for this day. I thank you for each and every person that's here. God, I thank you for your love and your mercy and your grace upon our lives. Father, I thank you that you have given us power from your hands into our hands. Father, I pray right now in Jesus' name that if anybody's sitting here who has never asked, who has never asked Jesus to be in their life, God, I pray that they would give their life to you right now. If you've never asked Jesus, if you've never got into a relationship with Jesus right now, you know whether you're in a relationship with him or not. But if you want to be in a relationship with him, there is nothing that you can do big enough to enter into a relationship with him except say yes to him. He said, will you come and follow me? That was a blanket statement to every person on this earth after he went to the cross. It's a blanket statement that if you want to be a Christian, if you want to be a Christ follower, say yes, that you will follow him. And when you say yes, you are giving your life to him. And from this moment forward, if you say yes today, from this moment forward, you will be a follower of Jesus and he'll take you on the great adventure. You may not know what that adventure is. I don't know what that adventure is for you. I know what it's done for me. But for you, if you'll say yes to him, you'll have the adventure of your life. Father, I thank you for these that are receiving Jesus as their Lord and Savior. God, I, I pray right now over our finances. I pray, God, that as as we are tithers, as we are givers, that we can outgive you, but we can tap the power that you have in your hands when you when you give us a way to prove that you are God in our life. I thank you. I praise you, God, for what you're going to do through this Give Challenge. And I pray, God, that you would open up those windows of heaven so that we don't have room to contain the blessing that you have poured out on us. I thank you and I praise you. I give you glory for all that you do and all that you are. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen.